0: what was incredibly compelling to me about the aerial school mass sighting was the reaction of the children that witnessed it. And one of the 60-odd kids, when asked about it, said that her heart was fluttering the entire time. It was racing, and then it would stop and slow down, and it was racing, and she was talking to Professor John Mack. And John Mack, being a skilled clinical psychologist and having worked with children for a few decades, knew all the right questions to ask and knew how to open them up. And when she told John Mack about her heart fluttering, he said you were excited she said i was excited i was scared and john max says you also had said that you were happy and she looked at him and she said yeah i was happy because i was seeing something strange i was seeing something peculiar I was seeing something that no one else had ever seen before (laughs) and this from like maybe an eight year old girl and you can't make shit up like that
1: Welcome to Randomly Generated Rabbit Holes, a side series by Anomalous Waves. I'm John, your host and all-around sound guy, and today I am joined by host and producer of Euphemet, founder of Defy Wrestling, and my friend, Jim Perry. Jim and I met up on Zoom a few weeks before recording this to choose his topic. I did not record it. I'm gonna for future episodes that's one thing I love about this show and inviting people on I'm getting new ideas how to change the format but we met via zoom I had my list of strange topics and Jim chose I believe the number five which ended up being the aerial school mass UFO sighting of Rua Zimbabwe now something I found very interesting about Jim specifically choosing that number that correlated with that topic is that he knows tons about this topic already. With the first guest, Andrew, I gave him a couple different choices and he chose Haunted Bridges because it personally connected to him. This time, Jim randomly chose the number and it still connected with him. I'm curious to see if this is gonna be an ongoing theme and pattern with guests in the future. We go all over the place with this conversation. Jim shares his wealth of knowledge on the aerial school sighting. We bring up some other school sightings from Australia, from Wales, and talk about the role that consciousness seemingly plays in ways that the phenomena presents itself. All right, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Randomly Generated Rabbit Holes.
0: I'm looking forward to talking to talking about this subject. I've never talked about this subject on Night Drift or Ufomet, Um, but it's something that I've followed for years. And in fact, when I started Ufomet, it was the first kind of like UFO case that I had realized I'd never heard before, before starting
1: And how surprising Ufomet. that is. Yeah, yeah. For such an intense... Right, yeah. ...highly witnessed... Right. Uh, ...not just craft, but a bean and yeah in a- b- tight black suit yeah um communicating telepathically with some of the children
0: you know for those familiar with it, we're getting into like sort of woody Derenberger, uh you know territory here um early accounts of you know kind of um weird men in black as well uh, we it's this this is I think what's really affecting about this is that It's not just a contact story. But because of those elements that are presented, it is a case of the highest of strange. And I think that's why probably people like you and I, who, you know, are Keelians, are, you know, consumers of, you know, this kind of different, not different, but a unique flavor of the paranormal, I think we're really into. Mm -hmm. uh, This kind of has all of that. So... Yeah, I'm excited to go. I'm excited to go into it.
1: So, September 16th, 1994, 62 students at the aerial school in Ruwa, Zimbabwe, witnessed a silver craft land in a field near the school. Some said they saw beans dressed in all black and that they approached some of the children and telepathically communicated with them a message. A warning, I would say, a warning of pollution, of technology, and that kind of we were going to destroy the planet. And going back to Keely and stuff, that is something that is (laughs) brought up a lot. Yeah. By all sorts of creatures. Yeah, most definitely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And listen, there's no way in hell that these kids exposed to this sighting have those resources have you know those books on their shelves um they weren't you know reading keel
1: okay <laughs> like in
0: 1994 <laughs> in rua, you know in rua zimbabwe this was not going on um in fact there probably would have been limited access to any sort of popular media that would have even painted that picture but that really didn't become a part of popular ufo consciousness uh, mainstream-wise until much later, you know, sort of, if at all, this, this, um, this report that people have, this reported by Keel and others of extraterrestrials having this message, and the message is, hey, I'm Captain Planet, <laughs> <laughs> assemble and, like, start cleaning your shit up, or you're, like, you're done, you know? Uh, what was so interesting is that, like, you know, yeah, like, one of the kids, like, reported, they, they told us not to be too technologed, you know, uh, so cute. Uh, (laughs) and, and, you know, goes to say there was a lot of like interesting interpretation of what these beings had said to everyone on the individual basis. Mm -hmm. Right. There's so many interesting sort of side angles, this case that are underreported. For example, uh before this event occurred in 1994, days earlier, there was a tremendous UFO flap all over Africa and people were seeing lights in the sky and anomalous activity in the air all over the place. Um this was corroborated by popular newspapers and reports from others that had gone there to find out what was happening, but it was a it was a known thing that much like some of the mass sightings that have occurred here or even going back to the summer of saucers in, in 1947 there appears to be a flap right that occurs before some other legit like largely more uh legitimate sighting or contact has occurred that's that's what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. before a contact situation occurs allegedly for folks there are a tremendous amount of experiences that people have before. Uh, some of them, you know, being the night right before uh, large sightings occurring of 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 crafts in, you know, neighboring towns, right? So you have this idea just like going back to 1947 of, hey, was whatever Kenneth Arnold saw, was that, is that actually what like crashed in Corona? Is that like, <laughs> are these related or these these things flying around and crashing everywhere. Like (laughs) who's to say, right? But, but that, that's, that was the setting in Africa on that day of that event. Now, were the children exposed to those sightings in periodicals and press? That's something not a lot of people ever talk about. If there was a hysteria of sorts that were already encountered in that area in those classrooms back at home where people talking about these things. Mm. Who's to say? I don't know, right? Like, I don't know if that question has been asked. I know that a lot of people, skeptics, have claimed hysteria.
1: That's always their go-to though, right? (laughs) Right,
0: (laughs) right. But there's so much corroborative evidence and so many details that just make this one of the most stunning mass sighting cases in the history of this phenomena to me and to a lot of other people. They feel the same way. Kind of like the Patterson Gimlin or something uh, of of UFOs, but even sort of less disputed in some regards with more trustworthy uh, witnesses, you know? So we're looking at a setting where these things are occurring these kids, there's about 62 of them, are out at a very specific part of the playground. It's like an upper playground, I believe. This the, the, the school, the aerial school, is a private school. It's mostly attended by expats. It's a lot of Caucasian students. There's some local students, but essentially it was for wealthier residents to have their their students in a private school system. Uh, The campus was really large. There was multiple play fields separated by age or class, I believe. And while this was occurring, uh, the children are one part of the field and the adults uh, were inside having a staff meeting, allegedly. Well, what occurs essentially from what is reported is these children, pretty much to each one of them, reports uh, what would be described as a flying saucer landing on what may have been sort of a large rock there in the play field. And at that point, uh, feeling almost hypnotized or drawn to this thing. And having that combination of fear and excitement and awe, maybe? Several beings present themselves and come out of this craft. Uh, some report as many as four of them. Many report them all in black. The consistent report being that they their face and their head, larger than normal, with a, with a quality of skin... It's very interesting for people like you and me to hear about, but a quality of skin that almost feels plastic
1: Mm.
0: or (laughs) some of the witnesses now report in in present day, it's like somebody had too much like cosmetic surgery Mm. was the look, you know, uh, they report large eyes extending to the sides of its head. And some children report uh, like a slicked back black hair, (laughs) Now, if we want to pause here just for a second, how did you feel when I told you that's what most of those kids saw? What did you – what popped in your head? What did you think about?
1: I always wonder, you know, when when things are described in that way, is there some sort of helmet or some sort of other thing on top? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the big eyes and stuff. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, is that just a helmet of some sort? The slick back hair, and that was injured, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that makes me think of injured cold. That makes me think of a bunch of stuff. And it also makes me think the kids perceived it based on individual perceptions. Because the main event sounds very similar, enough to have cooperation or whatever yeah. all the way around and then the details the the interesting little differences in the details yeah yeah that's always what kind of gets me yeah and the differences in messages yeah because it makes you think is the telepathic communication universal or is it does it change for each individual yeah, you know right
0: yeah yeah is it, it, it custom is your custom message it's going to technology you yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> like you said exactly. made me think what if another kid might have just said technology.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. It's stunning. Uh there's no way uh these children knew about the men in black or injured cold. There's no way. And yet consistently within the, the reporting and also the popular myth of things like the men in black, it's that there are they are these like sort of awkward uh almost like they're wearing a human mask kind of thing their their skin is just not quite right they're they're not the right color uh trying to drink jello yes drink (laughs) jello so so, you know some of them some of them have like kind of this artificial looking hair Andrew cold being one that like the, the idea was that it was almost like felt like it was like maybe plastic or just like too like someone took like plastic wrap and just like kind of wrapped it around their whole head. You know, there's this this idea that there's this uh, kind of awkward non-human quality while they're trying to present themselves in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Now that some children saw them that way and others didn't is really interesting. But that it leads me to believe that, you know, these are two separate um, scenarios where, you know, Woody Derenberger is seeing one thing over here and these children are seeing one thing over here. And depending on who they were, they were seeing the same thing. Not in the same country. Uh, not in the same decade. I mean, hardly in the same fucking timeline. Yeah. All right? Yeah. And we're having reports from people that would have no connection to each other at all uh, through popular culture, uh, culture in general, right? So that's really fascinating to me. And... Uh, essentially so the kids see these creatures and like you said they start imparting messages to them and most reports psychically that they weren't really moving their mouth and they were giving these messages of essentially you know hey get your get your act together like you're polluting the planet you're bad for the planet um you you know assumedly that they're like sort of the generation to turn things around or something That
1: was my first thought was maybe going to a school to impart this wisdom early.
0: But we had Smokey the Bear.
1: (laughs) They had aliens. (laughs) (laughs) To directly, telepathically (laughs) communicate this.
0: (laughs) So so that's an interesting thing. And it it tells us a lot, I think, when we – talk more about the the individual impressions. It says a lot um, that those were so consistent across the board in terms of tone and tenor. They may have not seen the same commercials for Coke, but they all like got thirsty for, for a, for a soda afterwards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so a few of the students, they run back after this occurs. It's almost like they're kind of like, they're, you know, not hypnotized anymore. They run back and they report this to, to teachers and the teachers almost, you know, dismiss them and say this was not, maybe this did not even happen. Of course. You know? And uh, which made um, many of the children feel feel terrible, you know. But uh, this information got out. It caught wind, a very serious journalist Cynthia Hines. Cynthia Hines, who was an African journalist, found the story was the first to report on this beat of going and interviewing the children and seeing what was going on here and asking really tough questions for uh, the staff of the school as well, you know, about, you know, how did none of you see it? And you have 62 children all reporting the same thing. What's going on here? So she very seriously reported it. The story got out and it became like kind of a really became a big deal over there by extension international media picked up on the story Mm -hmm. in a way that we never do in this country Mm -hmm. so of course things like the bbc they're much more plugged into world news especially in africa i mean so so uh what happened next was you know over the preceding weeks uh, a, a war correspondent and journalist from the BBC. This guy got shot in the field. This is like complete badass, really hard nosed journalist. Uh, he's out there, uh, Timothy Leach. He's out there and he's talking to all these kids and he's getting their drawings for the first time. Uh, him and Cynthia are sitting down to the at the table and they're saying, "Okay, maybe let's draw out what these people looked like. Maybe let's draw out what the craft looked like." What they found was based off the children's cultural upbringing. The pictures identified greater with what their influences could be. So, for example, uh, a Caucasian student, maybe British in descent, had a different interpretation than an African student raised in that country, and. Nuances, cultural nuances, identifications. Um, you know, one 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 child even uh, said that instead of a saucer, it looked like two woven baskets were like put together from the tops. Right. So again, there were these identifiers that led researchers to believe that something was happening with how this phenomena was presenting itself, almost as if it wanted to be best understood and that they could only fill in the gaps or color so much what that was but it was based on something potentially based in consciousness potentially having like some sort of psychic connection that we even to this day are only you know, scrambling to try to figure out and we have to read giant books like beyond UFOs <laughs> uh, you know, and and listen to Edgar Mitchell and stuff to try to figure out to trap or wrap our heads around what influence our impressions, our upbringing, how we view the world can influence what these things look like. And you know mystics for a long time been talking about manifestation, making our own universe the influence we can have on our own reality, that we can create our own reality through thinking. We've got ideas about thought forms, so we can like create things, we can make things, we can make entities. There's all these stories about different ways that we can influence our reality into psychic, non-tangible, but very real things. And it just so happens that for whatever reason, the UFO phenomena is great at unlocking that for us. And to me, could potentially be the gateway into what of all this other stuff is, whether it's ghosts or out of body or, you know, cryptids potentially. You know, there's, and this, what I'm describing is the world of high strangeness, Mm -hmm. is this interconnected tapestry of how and why all of these things seemingly work together and work as some giant mirror to not only ourselves, but itself. That it's looking itself in the mirror and trying to figure out what it wants to be. So we know what it can be. (laughs) They didn't know what this was. And the stories continued, Uh, continued to get press. The school finally kind of started getting tired of it. But before all of that ended... Professor John Mack showed up. Now, John Mack had become very interested in this topic as a professor of psychology at Harvard University. Uh, During the same time was a real judgment day for John Mack because John Mack essentially was uh, being ousted from Harvard as a tenured professor by the administration who felt like his work and his notoriety that he was gaining For being the voice of and the prominent, the most prominent studier of the abduction phenomenon at that time was sullying their, you know, prestigious Ivy League reputation. So they wanted Mac out because he wouldn't shut up about abductions, (laughs) (laughs) like stop with the gray aliens, you know. So he wrote a few prominent books. Uh, he became a big proponent and uh, and, and facilitator of hypnotic regression. Uh, he really spearheaded along with this guy David Jacobs and with this guy Bud Hopkins. This whole movement of a personal psychic relationship to these abduction experiences and our interactions with what now some may call non-human inhabitants. And these guys... They were allies, but they were also catty sometimes and they were developing their own methods, (laughs) you know, uh, and these three, three guys really inserted themselves into the abduction phenomena and the groups and individuals herein in a way that no one had before. So around the country and around the world... Uh, through things like John Mack's appearances on popular talk shows and stuff like that. I think he was even on Oprah, maybe. You know, people were becoming well aware of these abductions in a different way than they had with communion and the reception for Whitley Strieber's work and Travis Walton's abduction experience, Mm -hmm. which were, I think, probably the most prominent tales of what those entail. These guys said, like, yes, we hear you, but what about all this other stuff? What are these people? And so you had, you had patients going to them, spilling their guts, entering into these, you know, very emotional, highly charged hypnotic regressions, to sometimes for the first time relive these experiences they believe they had aboard alien craft, uh, being operated on, uh, sometimes having seemingly very malevolent, unwanted forces. This was not the experience for most of the kids in Rua. Mm-hmm. the Aerial School. John Mack was encountering a very different witness. These were kids, which he was very accomplished and 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 uh, comfortable uh, speaking with and engaging with in a clinical uh, in, in a clinical capacity. These were benevolent beings that showed up to them, and these kids believed so much in what this experience was. John Mack shows up months later and is having these conversations and it's filmed and there's footage out there and you get to directly see John Mack at work and you get to see the emotions of these children Mm -hmm. telling their stories and having these conversations and you can't help but believe that this made an impact on these children. They're not making this shit up and who knows what it is. Uh, I've talked with one of the witnesses. I've had conversations with one of the witnesses, uh, Salma Setic. Uh She actually lived here in the Puget Sound for a while. And we had a few short conversations and, you know, they related to me a little bit of how it affected the rest of her life. Because this event was so exposed While she was a child, there began a hesitancy to engage with the topic unless it was absolutely the right time to do so. It was almost as if they needed to take this very publicized thing that happened to them in their own country. Some of them needed to get far, far away from it. Mm. So they moved out of country. Many of them moved out. To understand, it's a private school. uh, These usually are for for wealthier families, for, for expats, for people that do have sights on traveling. There's a lot of foreign language education going on. There was a question on how much they should engage with the topic, and this was Salma's concern, is that I felt like there's also a need and a want for their story to be heard, but for it not to be trivialized. And for it to count. When you're in the space of a an experiencer who has also gained a level of notoriety. Or attached to a case. It is incredibly traumatic for people after the fact. Because it's as almost as if it's a ghost. And it will haunt them. By way of people wanting to continue to report their story and Mm -hmm. report their story and report their story.
1: And question them.
0: Question them.
1: As if they're lying. Yeah. Making them go back Uh over the great details over Mm -hmm. and over again, Mm -hmm. always making them feel like they're lying.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's a very emotional situation, you know, and a lot of them had to run from it. What's really interesting is that according to Randall Nickerson, who's a filmmaker who has spent the last 15 years creating a documentary around this incident, who's traveled to Rua several times, who has interviewed not just, you know, many of the children involved, uh, the staff at the school, and, you know, maybe up to 100 additional people just in Africa that experienced similar things. You know, he is haunted by the story as well. I think that once you encounter a story like this, as a journalist and you've been let in, it is consuming, it's all consuming, and it changes your life as sort of a secondhand witness. And the burden that you take on in conveying that story appropriately, and also, you know, you you feel... uh, You know, I think Randall became to feel protective... Over the witnesses as well, because he saw what they went through, uh, in terms of the, the amount of people reaching out for, for contact, mm-hmm. you know, um, so there's a limit to what he will report out of respect for them. And it occurred to him as interviews continued that this was a situation that for many didn't end in 1994 and not just because of the, uh, the barrage over the years from people looking to get more access, but because for some, the phenomenon never stopped. What is really underreported in this story is that many of the people that experienced those entities that craft that day have continued to experience similar things throughout their life. And it goes to show that potentially for some of those kids, maybe that wasn't their first time either, seeing yeah. something like that, and it begs the question now that their parents, what's happening? You know, so one of the things that we find, John, like if you agree, is that these scenarios that contactees, abductees, experiencers find themselves in, usually does not stop with them. And In fact, some of the most Harrowing accounts are when, for me personally, with stories that I've captured of mothers or fathers that realize for the first time that they think their child is experiencing what they did as a kid.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that almost crippling experience that they encounter of not being able to control it and how much information do they give their kid without scaring them? When do they talk to them? How do they best open a platform for their child to to talk with them. Um it would be for these people that have experienced it in traumatic ways, in malevolent ways, um, knowing your child is being abused, but not being able to do anything about it. And um yeah, man, I don't know. That's fucked up, right?
1: They know what, what they're going to go through because they've gone through it. Yeah. And knowing that they never figured out how to not go through it. The Rua School incident was very publicized. Let's go to one that was not very reported. In April of 1966, about 200 Westall High School students, teachers, and Clayton South residents Witnessed a large silver-shaped flying saucer hover above the school's oval, which is their slang for playground, (laughs) and uh, the nearby Grange Reserve. So, this is in Australia. And this is like was not reported on at all. Wow. So, I watched this little documentary called Westall 66, A Suburban UFO Mystery. (laughs) And it's only about an hour long, Mm. but it's good. It's them trying to dig into what happened because there's like no reports. Nothing, but there was tons of students witnessed this thing. So some of the witnesses describing like, wow, this is happening was chaos. Mm. Kids are running around screaming. A teacher goes out and another teacher runs up to him is like, did you see it? It was like, he's describing (laughs) it, like moving around and all this crazy stuff. Just absolute chaos. Another witness, one of the kids, was saying that all these kids started following it, chasing it, landed by uh, nearby in this Grange Reserve, which is like a little park with a trail and all yeah. that. They saw it land. The kids were like running through
0: Whoa. to try
1: and go see this. Uh, one, one witness said that a bunch of other girls ran in front of her. When she got there, it was gone, but there was like kids passed out. Whoa. And there was this one... Girl, she said her friend Tanya was one of the girls that like fainted and supposedly saw it. But she was taken away in an ambulance, and she reported that she, had, she never saw Tanya again.
0: Yeah. Whoa.
1: <laughs> one man talked about hopping the fence as a kid and seeing two craft huh. on the ground. Headmaster did not believe them, uh-huh. gathered the children, but this was much different. He told them it was a weather balloon. <laughs> not to talk about what they had seen. This was like a straight up like school assembly. Wow! Gathered them, told them all not to say what yeah, they had seen. Wow! Uh, one individual was in a classroom and saw their teacher take pictures. Later, saw her talking to the headmaster and a man he had never seen before. They took the camera, of course. <laughs> So, there was a lot of sketchy behavior like that going on. Yeah. Very military cover-up stuff. Wow. So, the crew, like, for this documentary only found, like, one teacher witness that was still around. Mm -hmm. It was a science teacher named Mr. Andrew Greenwood. But at the time of this documentary, he would, like, not speak about it Mm -hmm. on record (laughs) at all. And this documentary came out a couple years ago, 2010. Mm Mm-hmm. So many citizens around the area claim to have seen army trucks and soldiers appearing at like the site where the craft supposedly landed just 20 minutes later.
0: Oh my gosh. Which
1: they were trying to figure out like how that's even possible. Yeah. Later in the dock, they're wit- they're like talking to witnesses, asking them about their suits, about the trucks. Sounds much more United States military-ish. Oh, so interesting. of course they're like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. there was some bases around there, I guess. Right, of
0: course. Yeah.
1: So uh, many other residents also claimed seeing five aircraft following uh, one of the UFOs. But nobody, of course, came forward to cooperate this. Uh, and there's no records. And one of the aircraft controllers they interviewed said, well, the people on there were probably told to s- stay quiet about it. <laughs> Just yeah. kind of like... Right. Frankly, said that because they would have had to have seen it, just like the other incident two days before. Uh, Ron Sullivan, a construction contractor, witnessed something in Central Victoria while driving. He described a ten-foot-tall light, like kind of in the in the trees, and a magnetic pull of his car. He started oh, driving wow. towards it, getting yeah. pulled
0: uh-huh.
1: towards this tree veered out you know Mm -hmm. drove on out wasn't gonna say anything but a couple days (laughs) later someone crashed into that very tree what so he brought it up because he thought it may have something to do with this giant light (laughs) big lit up magnetic tree okay so uh yeah the documentary has a bunch more stuff like that but it, it gets wild. Like I said, it came out in 2010.
0: Would you recommend people watch it?
1: Yes, and I'll link it. It's just, uh, I think I watched it on Pluto TV. Mm. Lots of commercials. Be prepared for that, but free. True. The doc came out in 2010, like I said, but later in May of 2021, Andrew, the teacher, decided to come forward on the record and not only did he say that he saw the craft, but he was threatened by military officials that he would lose his job. They would say he was drinking on the job, whatever, wow. because the story didn't make sense and he must be drinking on the job. Yeah. He, he was threatened. Um, this story broke on 7 News Australia. It's just like straight up news. I'll yeah. link that video yeah. too. Um, the documentary does a good job at showing you know, that the witnesses just want to be validated. Just yeah. like, just like always, sure. and the whole incident was virtually erased. The whole time, wow. it's just the person trying to find records of all yeah. these things that should exist. Yeah, these oh reports that should exist, and uh, there's nothing. <laughs> oh, man. So nearly three decades earlier, very similar situation, very, very different kind of outcome. Yeah, just all shamed and threatened and to keeping it quiet.
0: Yeah. You know, it uh it, it makes you wonder a couple of things. Like firstly, how many other stories are like this that just have not come out yet or we just have not heard of. Uh, maybe maybe plenty, you know. Um, if we're looking at, you know, as time goes on and looking back to kind of the emergence of the most popular, you know, sort of saucer stories in 47 You can go back beyond that, you know, and these things were airships and they were, you know, sort of blimps and, uh, all sorts of strange aerial devices, right? Um, that looks more appropriate maybe to that time and, uh, not some erratic tic-tac, you (laughs) know, um, that being said, you know, who knows, you know, we have, uh, for millennia, seemingly stories and myths and paintings of of these things, uh, and stories that maybe will never be told, but are hinted at, right? So, how many other times have there been, you know, sort of institutions with an ability to button things up
1: mm. that have existed? You know, mm-hmm. I mean,
0: they almost hid ET from us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the fact that that many people can see something and it that would be like nearly that would be nearly impossible now right to yeah shut up that many people
0: there'd be people out front of it doing tiktok dances
1: (laughs) exactly catch
0: on Kimmel would be riffing on it uh (laughs) non-hilariously uh yeah it would be a it would be a cultural phenomenon you think um you know however we've been surprised before i think by stories we think are going to be big relating to this phenomenon that 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 aren't that 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 fizzle out Mm -hmm. that uh because of positioning it becomes you know sort of back page news Uh, some of that's changing if we're talking about nuts and bolts and you know black budgets and things of that nature Mm -hmm. we're talking about like the militarized side of things um then yeah let's put that on the front page right um but as you know ralph blumenthal suggested to me you know they're nowhere near close had the new york times for example of reporting on you know uh let's say the finer intricacies of the abduction phenomenon you know,
1: um, it's gonna be a long time for that.
0: Yeah, I asked him, and he just started laughing, John. <laughs> you know, so what does that tell you? You know, and it's not like that; those journalists uh, aren't capable of writing nuanced, fair, balanced pieces about that because they are, and they've done it. Right, We've had to do it for other mediums, and it means that uh, the paper of record, the news of record, um, it definitely has a version. Of what these things are. And it's only one version. It's only one part of the mystery of all this. And I think, you know, what does it say that there are some of these mass sightings, two of these that we talked about here, uh, happened at schools? Yeah. What does that mean? Does that mean that this nuanced, logical, uh, curious, informed witnesses... Uh, are being reached out to to help tell this story
1: i think the school part really fascinated me because i imagine i i it's impossible to do but i try to imagine not understanding what's going on here and just observing and then noticing those people seem chill yeah like they're always like why don't they land on the white house lawn it's like why don't you try hopping the fence (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and see what happens. Oh, what right. do you think they're gonna do to <laughs> right.
0: Right.
1: to uh, a, a UAP threat? Right. As it's yeah. now, they they should
0: start at the cap. Like they should start at the capital. Then you know maybe nothing will ever happen to them. They're just good to go. Good point. You know what I mean.
1: <laughs> good point. <laughs> no, I agree.
0: Yeah, I agree. Why go where uh, your uh, your your passive engagement with a population will b- be met with extreme hostility. Yeah. Uh when you could land on this plush lawn uh somewhere else uh and and be greeted by curious children uh just I'm exiting older. you know algebra.
1: Yeah, running at you like they're like Beetle Mania. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of institutions, I found another one in Wales wow. this time. Uh huh In 1977, a class of children at Broadhaven Primary School in Wales witnessed, once again, silver cigar-shaped object that was spotted, once again, in a field near the playground. One of the children, named David Davies, who is now, like, obsessed with the topic, I feel it, who was 10 at the time, says his pupils had reported seeing flying saucers throughout the day. David told BBC Wales that I was a natural-born skeptic, so after the bell rang, I decided to go to the area that the children said they had seen it. David described what he, what he saw as a silver cigar-shaped craft with a dome covering the middle third. He also says that he only saw it for a few seconds. Mm. It popped up and then went back behind a tree, which is very interesting wow. to me. Yeah. Like, oh, saw me.
0: Yeah, right.
1: He said that rather than fear, he was in awe, Hmm. which brings us back to Rua, but had a strange desire to run away.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: The teachers did not believe the children. So the headmaster did the same thing, separated them. The kids had very similar drawings of the craft. Uh, Some even had a little bean in their drawing Hmm. next to the craft. And unlike the Westall sighting, there were news reports about it, and it blew up. Wow. And like both incidents, there were sightings by other citizens in the area, flap, flap style. Wow. Two months later, Rosa Granville, who ran the Haven Fort Hotel in nearby Little Haven, described seeing an object which looked like an upside-down saucer and two faceless humanoid creatures with pointed heads. Oh, my gosh. She said so much heat came off it, her face felt burned. Oh, no. There was light coming from it in flames of all colors. Then the creatures came out of these flames. That's what I don't understand, she said. When she visited the field, she said there was two inches of burned grounds. Miss hmm. Granville said the incident left her agitated and disturbed. Another resident, Dorothy Kale, observed bright flashes that lit up the entire village. She described it as the brightest light she had ever seen in a glass dome. It flashed and then was gone. She wow. didn't see it fly away. Nothing. She said everyone was just staring at it and did not say a word. And that that was the strangest part. <laughs> Once again, that awe.
0: <laughs> yeah, I imagine so. Like being it. in that, you're like, I'm in an elevator. <laughs> but you're witnessing this, the wildest thing you've ever seen in your life.
1: Two men that lived in that town saw A bright orange light out at sea that moved right to left and then disappeared. Ten miles from the village, there's also a secret military base ran by, you guessed it, the United States of America. (laughs) I'm seeing a connection here. (laughs) (laughs) Gordon uh, Gordon Bowden, former Royal Air Force engineer, also witnessed the strange lights and said that the base was a high security clearance, very hush-hush place. But it also sounds like it might have just been a location to spy on Russia. Wow. There also began to be sightings of a figure in a silver suit. This sounds like it may have actually been a prankster. So a guy um, named Glenn Edwards came forward to tell this story. A businessman, he went out one night for like a costume-type party. He decided, you know it's very fitting to wear a spaceman type suit right now with all the hysteria (laughs) going on. Uh, It was like an industrial like silver suit um, that they use for like burn things for like this oil refinery. It's very like full blown sore suit and a big like (laughs) head, you know. Um, So him and his buddies, they're drinking. They're like, let's go around the town and goof around. Uh, They get to this hotel, the Haven Fort Hotel and he walks up the driveway slowly with the car behind him, you know, high beams on. He's walking up, and they see a lady in the window. And uh, some of his friends are, like, in the bushes, and they see that she has a gun. So he oh. dives down into the bushes. Oh, man. And they're like, let's do it again. And he's <laughs> just like, no, <laughs> I'm out of here. It's
0: like, my career is over.
1: So going back to, you know, Miss... Granville and her sighting. I'm pretty sure that was her. These are two different sources. Yeah, I found a little documentary thing where the guy came forward, but this was from another article.
0: Wow, and it's the
1: same oh hotel. My gosh. So yeah. I'm pretty sure. But all the interesting details she said. You know, she found burns in the ground. Mm-hmm. She was seeing weird colors. Yeah, and she saw two faceless humanoids. Wow. So his story is that he's by himself, and then there's this car. So yeah, once again, perception maybe was playing yeah. an extra right. extra yeah. because yeah. something I mean, was going on.
0: <laughs> Let me tell you, though, like it's very uh, seemingly common within classical uh, UFO conspiracy that on occasions – Of such high strangeness of reports of beings or ufos or crashes that potentially some believe the government united states government in particular is responsible for smoke screens Mm. for alleged hoaxers to come Mm -hmm. out of the woodwork and well either say that they saw it too for some reason like Propagate the story and but be really insane about it Uh, or say, okay, well, this is what actually happened. This is what actually happened. I did it. Mm -hmm. I'm the prankster. Whereas the experiencer was left going. That wasn't a guy in the suit. Yeah, I know what I saw. Yeah. You know, and there was all this other.
1: There was one incident even that he wouldn't take credit for. Oh,
0: what's,
1: what's that? And I don't know. Oh, all just said in it really quickly yeah. was like there was all but one where he he wouldn't take credit for and I'm like why aren't you
0: telling the story and he just drew a line <laughs> in the sand at that
1: point <laughs> I then, know but, they just like decided yeah, not to tell the. Yeah, he was possibly like, the coolest yeah, the, part of the, the story the penis
0: monsters that
1: was not me <laughs> that was not <laughs> that was me, not me. Uh, he was a businessman maybe he took a little sweet little deal mm. the military base around there it's like right. hey 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 yeah. I heard you're a business boy yeah. You'll do anything for money, is what they say on the street. Wow, <laughs> you go dress up in the, the silver right. suit. <laughs> Absolutely fascinating. Three high strangeness flap areas surrounded by a mass school siding yeah. of a very similarly described craft landing near... A school witnessed by mostly children. Yeah. And then chaos surrounding those (laughs) days of of random, random, highly strange sightings.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it teaches us, I think, a lot about um, potentially how challenged our own perceptions are. And it begs the question... Is what we're seeing there or is what I am seeing something that knows I'm looking at it, right? Uh, That wants to be seen, uh, that wants to know I've seen it and is showing itself in a way that I can hopefully interpret in some form or fashion. And there's the non-direct ones. There's these other seemingly very objective accounts of physical effects that people have. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole probably other rabbit hole, right? Mm -hmm. Of incidents where people have received what they believe are radiation burns or tested the same, you know, uh, developed physical ailments or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, these, you know, the, the UFO history is, is, is sort of lousy with these accounts, you know? So yeah, our interpretation both psychically and physically is so much more complex than, than quote UAP end quote, you know, uh, it's so much more personal. It's so much more personalized and it's just much more abstract than any sort of Pentagon program has even, yeah. uh, uh, you know hinted towards and I think that's why so many people are are frustrated by you know those citizen hearings or uh, the you know the, the the congressional hearings or even the reports or articles that are out there is because they they feel that there's something intimately more uh, going on here, uh, some of them very personally. And I think if you asked maybe any of these kids that experienced that on that day yeah on any of those days, They might just agree.
1: I feel like they're trying to make it boring. I feel like they're trying to make it so dull that you won't ask questions anymore. (laughs) We're over this, this news cycle. Let's 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 move past this. Let's just make it so dry. Exactly.
0: Joke's on them. We're going to gravitate towards Bigfoot again.
1: Yes. I also always find myself wondering... If Kenneth Arnold would have never described it as like skipping like a saucer,
0: if he knew that the description yeah would become what it was that that
1: became like saucer because he described it more like chevron shaped yeah right which is more like a like a crappy bird drawing the little kid would make or whatever like a little triangle yeah thing.
0: And, and in fact that the he described the lead craft of those nine being different than the rest of them as well. Uh, having uh, much more maybe a prominent shape or unique shape uh, against the other ones or, or being d- more dynamic uh, and there's illustrations you know that are out there for that um, that's a great question John yeah like would knowing that the cultural perception uh, the mythos around that you know errant miscommunication or generalization based off of his, you know, uh, his description, his, his colorful description, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Would, would he have found that there was a more truthful way to share what that was? That'd be really interesting. I know that the answer is probably yeah. I know that he was like very disgruntled towards the end of his life about the lack of, serious investigation going into it and that yeah he he felt a little betrayed by the broken promises and by the seemingly lack of interest from government officials in which you know uh he held uh, for most of his life in really high regard institutions military officials these are a lot of his friends you know he was a pilot so he was a part of like uh, a broad community of very like sort of logical technical thinkers you know and so for these other technical thinkers to be in positions of power and to seemingly from his perspective just eh, I don't want anything to do with this or discount it out of hand when he was sitting there in 1947 probably around this time in 1947, this time 75 years ago, going, I'm getting so much mail. It's delivering to my house in buckets after my story became public, and now I'm not, I definitely know I'm not alone. And in fact, I'm joined by way more many people than I would have ever imagined sharing with me their story of these things. So to see what would happen, uh, to see what happened to him after you know, being pulled into things like Maury Island and to see where he went later in his life, which was, it's not very well reported, but, uh, more considerate of potentially a psychic or spiritual connection to whatever these things are. Kenneth Arnold entered into the world of Heist range.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's, yeah, it's interesting that there does seem to be a divide, um, for some. On the highest range, but I think they're missing the
1: point so bad <laughs> <laughs> they're so far from the point and the point is there is no point <laughs> My and drop. That's the point <laughs> <laughs> I will um I will end this rabbit holes with just a couple of a uh, Random witness reports, so. Oh, great. One of my favorite things to do is go in the, the like, century of cases, um, 1868, I think, to 1968, uh, a passport to Magonia. Uh-huh, yeah. PDF and just type in uh-huh. words. yeah. And see what pops in. So I just <laughs> did black suit because I was like, there's got to be some other. Sure. You know, maybe there'll be a link. Right. You know? And, uh. There's some really interesting ones. So August 16th, 1955, Bradford, England, Mr. Ernest Sutterd probably blew that name pronunciation, <laughs> 35, and his 13-year-old son were in a lorry on Roundhill Street when they saw what seemed to be a human being about 1.2 meters tall, dressed in skin-tight black clothes. It held its arms close to its side, its feet close together and walked by a series of jumps. I always love that. <laughs> it's like they're little astronauts here. On its <laughs> chest was a silver disc perforated with holes. It turned off suddenly into a passageway and was lost to sight. They were too amazed to follow it. Oh so my gosh. little amazed. bean in all black, just bong, bong, bouncing around.
0: Yeah, amazed is one word to describe <laughs> what you'd feel after seeing that, right? <laughs> Wow.
1: August 6, 1966, Texas. A civilian man and his family observed a dark object hovering near their isolated house. It had a square door emitting a yellow light. Three children saw a dwarf through the opening. He was dressed in shiny black coveralls. The object left slowly with a soft humming sound. Hmm. So little kids are the ones that saw it. Yeah. Once again, got a 13 year old kid. We got. There's definitely a link between kids and little beings in black tight suits right now. Yeah. (laughs) July 17th, 1967. uh, uh, France. I'm just going to say France. Children were terrified by four dwarfish creatures dressed in black clothing about one meter tall who moved very rapidly among the bushes. They were dark skinned, had bulging eyes, and spoke among themselves in a strange musical dialect.
0: Oh, Wow, hey, that's that's really interesting. That's a
1: weird one, right? All right, I'll pick one more. June 19th, 1951, Denmark. A mechanic heard a whistling sound and saw, saw an object land in a meadow. Approaching within 50 meters, he found himself paralyzed and observed that birds had stopped singing and cows seemed to be similarly unable to move. From the object emerged four handsome men who had brown skin and wore black, shiny suits and translucent helmets. Eight objects also emerged from the craft and hovered above it. Other men inside the craft and on its deck appeared to be making repairs. Then the objects flew to about 100 meter altitude and climbed rapidly out of sight. Only then did the paralysis subside.
0: Oh, wow. So
1: going back to almost the differences in sightings. Yeah. Back in the the aerial school sighting, someone saw that shiny kind of black hair back. Yeah. Different vibe of person, mm-hmm. but the the cows being almost paralyzed, the birds yeah. stop singing. Right. Those kind of events always get me. Yeah. When everything seems to like... Boo. Yeah. I love to. in the Nope trailer when the record right? goes down. Yeah, like I'm just yeah, like exactly. did the research because yeah. <laughs> that is the electrical interferences and the, the sounds going away is yeah. one that always yeah always gets me because not only is it able to mess with like the electrical technological world but also the natural world. Yeah. That's stunning. That's when I get
0: that's tripped out yeah Yeah, right yeah well it's uh you know i think what we've learned from all these is definitely whatever it is whatever they are whatever this whatever our relationship is to it uh it's certainly messing with our natural world you know um or maybe we're messing with its world
1: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Randomly Generated Rabbit Holes. Special thanks to Jim Perry. Thank you so much for joining me. It was such a fun topic. Look forward to future rabbit hole divings. I don't know what a better way to put that. You can find Jim Perry on social media at It's Jim Perry or at euphemet. You can find euphemet at euphemet.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Oh 49 the 40 and was just released uh, featuring Andrew Jewell from Strange Days, who was our last guest on randomly generated rabbit holes. So definitely check that out. If you enjoy what you heard today, consider supporting the show. best way to do that is to become a patron. You can find out more info on that at patreon.com/anomalouswaves. You can check the show notes for links or just go to anomalouswaves.com for pretty much all the stuff. But the easiest, best way to support this show is just by telling someone about it. Tell some kids who just uh, saw a UFO on the playground. There's no one to do the back and forth with me once again. Um, but yeah, just tell anyone who likes anything weird. Alright, thanks for listening. So long, strange pals. Talk at you next time. Bye.